morning, church, uh, and, and Merry Christmas. Um, I always, uh, I'm, I talk to a buddy who I uh, used to do ministry with up in Salem, and, uh, you know, we, this is the, the second year in a row that Ben has asked me to share during Christmas time, and uh, it's always an honor, just because Christmas is kind of the, the big time of year for churches, and so, um, and it's my favorite time of the year. Uh, and so uh, I really love the opportunity to get to share uh, during Christmas. So um, we, are, we are talking about the people of Christmas, and I, and I really like the series that Ben has uh, landed on for us to focus on because it gives us a chance to put ourselves inside these, these other stories that are, are either the background or are these side characters that are happening around the birth of Jesus. Um, and, and it helps us to, I think, focus in our attention and help us um, really get some context for what was happening this, this day and this night and, and the time leading up to the birth of Jesus. Um, Christmas is, of course, the celebration of the birth of our Savior. Uh, and so we're not, we're not trying to, like, not talk about that. But we're just trying to look at these things as they inform our celebration of Jesus' birth. And so, uh, what do these characters have to tell us and teach us so that way they can better help us celebrate and, and worship this Christmas, I think is the goal. Um, last week, we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth and John, and, and Pastor Ben talked about how this, this family and the miracle that God worked in their lives served as an attention-getter for a, a people that had grown accustomed to not hearing from God. Uh, and it got their attention, and it kind of got them ready. It was supposed to get them excited and get them motivated to be looking out for what's God going to do next? What's, what's God going to do? Um, and so this week, we're going to talk about Elizabeth's cousin Mary. Um, and Mary's, at the beginning of our story, her love interest, Joseph. Because uh, we're going to go back a bit to talk about who, who were Mary and Joseph. Um, because a lot of times in, in this time of year, they are the two characters that are positioned on either side of the nativity and the manger, and they're looking in on Jesus. And that's, that's who Mary and Joseph are. Um, but but who, were, who were these people before they were mom and dad? Um, and how does that inform them as parents? <laughs> Of Jesus. So uh, today is going to be one of those weeks where uh, we're going to be primarily in Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, we're going to be primarily in Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be jumping back to Luke 1 for just a minute. Um, and then I'm also going to just take a little stroll over to Matthew for a second. But uh, for the majority of what we're going to do today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible and want to turn it to Luke 2 now, that would be, uh, that would be the majority of what we're going to look at. Um, and as you do so, I want to note a little bit of data that we have um, on Mary and Joseph. So we talk about who are these people um, and give some background on, on who they are. So in Matthew chapter 1, we are told that Joseph is an Israelite. Uh, and you might hear that and you might go, well, okay, yeah, um, that makes sense. Like, why is that important? Um, but likewise, it is assumed that Mary is also an Israelite. And I say that because... The genealogy that we get in Luke 3, it traces a different one than it does for Joseph in, in Matthew 1. 
Uh, and so there's, there's some people who think that this might be tracing it through Mary's line and that she is also an Israelite. Um, but the way Mary lives her life, her attention to the law, also tells us that like, she, she's bought into this. She, she's an Israelite woman. Um, and so you have these, these two Israelite people, uh, and uh, there's, there is then this big drop of information in Luke chapter 2. So, so background, Mary and Joseph are Israelite people. They, they care about the things of God, and much like the rest of the Jewish world at the time, it had been quiet until this big silent event with Zechariah in the temple. Um, and so Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for Christmas. I just pray that as we look at Mary and Joseph and, and look at your word, I pray that you would help our celebration of this season to grow, uh, that, that our worship of our Savior would, would be enhanced. Um, and I pray that we would experience that, that peace that came to the earth and goodwill to each other during this season. We love you and thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So it says that there was this decree. Uh, Caesar Augustus gave a decree and he said, okay, I want to count y'all. <laughs> uh, and so he's going to take a census and, and he says that you have to go back to your ancestral hometown in order to be counted because he wants to make sure, like, he wants to like count tribal allotment and stuff. He's kind of keeping track of that. Um, and so Joseph was of the line of Judah and so if you were uh, a, a, of Judah, you had to go back to Bethlehem. That's where they were gathering because that was where the tribal allotment would have been drawn. This is your territory. You've got to go back there to be counted. Um, and verse 4 tells us that he and Mary leave a town called Nazareth. I'm going to talk a little bit about Nazareth in here a second. Uh, but they leave this town to go and be counted. Uh, Mary and Joseph, are, well, at least Joseph, is, is a Judean-Israelite who is living in Nazareth. Nazareth is not in the, in the allotment of Judah. Like, it's not there. Um, it is a small town way up north in the region of Galilee. Uh, to give you some perspective about, like, where this is, it's about 60 to 70 miles north of Bethlehem. So you got Bethlehem, and then 60 to 70 miles north is Nazareth. And we hear that, and we're like, okay, that's not bad. Like, that's an afternoon stroll, an afternoon drive to and from. Um, but... It's a trip on foot, maybe with a donkey, uh, probably with a lot of gear, because you're, you're going to be on the road for a bit. It would take a long time. Like, it, this is not just a, an evening stroll. This, this was a trek. Um, you have to travel by day, because like, you have starlight to travel by night. It's dark. let alone taking that journey, as verse 5 tells us, pregnant. And it makes you wonder how many times they had to stop to use the bathroom. But that was mean. I'm, I'm getting a head shake from Anna, so I'm going to move on. 
Uh, my initial thought is, like, why didn't they go somewhere near it? So he says, hey, I want to count everybody. There's this census. Why didn't they just go to a different tribe to be counted? That's closer. Like, there were some that were a lot nearer to them. Um, how would they know? <laughs> and, and part of it is Joseph, as we're going to see in our story, he seems to be a pretty upstanding guy. He cares about this stuff. And I think he wanted to do it right. Um, the other reason is, is they probably actually, in all reality, would not have gotten away with it. Because Nazareth is a small town. It's not very big. You go to Nazareth um, to, like, get away, or because you have family there. Often, uh, they, they found, like, underneath Nazareth, these hideouts where they, what they're used for, who knows, but um, they, they presume that people could have, like, escaped the law at times in these little bunkers. So Nazareth is tiny. It's, it's a small town. Um, it's located inside of a basin, and so inside this basin, see so Nazareth is kind of located down in, and Nazareth only has one well that is like their access to water. Uh, and so in a, in a world that you, it, it's desert, it's, uh, water's important, and this, this water supply is not enough for like big scale agriculture, and so that is not their industry. They're not growing and like exporting like food and produce to the nearby area. If they're growing stuff, it's enough for their household and maybe their friends to provide for those who couldn't grow things. It's small scale, if any farming at all. Um, and a lot of the, the industry that might be happening in Nazareth is service jobs. Joseph's a carpenter. They go out into the region and, and in the areas around to do work for other people. That's, that is like the landscape of what Nazareth is like. It's, it's small. <laughs> and they're from a small town, and they're pregnant. If you are pregnant, and maybe in a situation that you don't want everyone to know that you are pregnant, you don't want to live in a small town. It's not condu conductive for keeping things from people. But one day, Mary receives a message. So we're going to hop back a little bit to kind of give us some context. It's like, oh, we just got into the story, and all of a sudden this lady's going to have a baby. That's great. Uh, just a little bit back in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, we read, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's in Nazareth, and we're told that she is betrothed to a man named Joseph. They're engaged to be married. They're excited about a future together and this idea of beginning to start their lives together in one day in the future, over here, a family. And then God sends Gabriel to Mary with a message. You're going to have a baby. And that baby, he's the one. Like, this, is the, this is the guy we've been waiting for. He's the Messiah. He's going to save God's people. He's going to be king. He's the chosen one. And if you're Mary and you hear that, that's a lot. Mary's response is perfect. She's like, that would be an honor. <laughs> um, that sounds amazing to be able to play a part in, in this, this plan that God has to save his people. Uh, b- but just like one problem here. Joseph and I haven't like had sex yet. So like, I can't be pregnant. <laughs> That's kind of what she says. She's like, yeah, how? Uh, sorry, but I think you got the wrong girl. The angel tells her, don't worry about it. Don't don't sweat that stuff. Um, This baby is different. The Holy Spirit is going to work a miracle in your life in the form of a baby. Ben noted last week the parallels drawn between Mary and Elizabeth. Uh, And I I want to just note here real quick uh, that Luke gets our attention at the beginning of Luke by telling the story of this young family who is unable to have kids and, and Zechariah is visited by this angel in the temple, and he comes out, he can't talk for nine months, and then miraculously they, they conceive and have a child in their old age, and they name him John. And, and it's this big attention getter. It's like, look over here. Watch, get ready for what God is going to do. And their baby is filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. It's a miracle. God worked a miracle in that family. And, and miracles exist to get our attention, to help us focus our eyes and focus our gaze at what is God getting ready to do. And so when Luke is writing out his story and he's putting this down, there's this miracle and he starts, he starts out pretty strong. Like, it, it's a good start to a story. But if John is not the focus of the story... We need a bigger miracle. How do we tell people like, hey, this is amazing. This baby John was conceived and and is going to be this wonderful person who points people to the actual one. (laughs) So how do we now shift our attention to, oh, wait, how do we look over here? And it's through another miracle. The only thing more miraculous than than a, a, a couple in their old age being able to conceive and have a son 
is a woman who is a virgin <laughs> getting pregnant. That's a miracle. And it helps us focus our eyes into the life and the situation of Mary and, and this baby that she is going to have one day. Because the thing about miracles is they, they often seem improbable. That's why they're miracles. If it, if it wasn't, it would just be like another Thursday. They seem impossible. Like We read this and we go, no, that's, that's not how this works. And the angel says it so perfectly. Verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. And so in verse 38, Mary agrees. She, she consents to this idea. She's like, I, I am in service and praise to you, God. Let's do this. I, I don't understand it. Doesn't make sense to me. But God, you seem to have a plan. And I imagine she's thinking, well, this kind of messes up this engagement thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's kind of like the next part of the story. They've, they've both been waiting so long for this um, to be married. It's a small town, and now you're pregnant. Bad gas travels fast in a small town. And Matthew 1 tells us more about how they sought to deal with this. So uh, she is now pregnant in a small town. And I need to say, uh, before I read this in Matthew 1, like we don't, we don't get the initial exchange between Mary and Joseph, um, but it can't have been comfortable. Like, it, it's, it's awkward. Joseph, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and, and then just thinking, Joseph, like, excuse me now. Like, no. No, you better not. And then Mary's response, no, no, it's not like that. The, the baby is from God. In that moment, that's not helpful. <laughs> uh, that is, that is, that's difficult to hear, I imagine, is Joseph. And, and Matthew 1, starting in verse 18, gives us some, some notion that, yeah, he, he might have been struggling with this a bit. It says, now the birth of Jesus took place this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And now Joseph's response. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph's response to hearing this news, it says that he is, a, he is a just man and unwilling to put Mary to shame. And so what he seeks to do is he, he seeks to be 
willing to take a personal mar, a, a personal negative view on his own character in society, in their small town, in order to keep Mary's honor intact. That's what he desires to do. At that point where he has decided, I, I'm going to take the heat for this, he doesn't know for sure. He hasn't had his dream. He made that decision prior to receiving word from God. Joseph is a man of integrity. And at that point, he's likely, th likely thinking Mary has slept with another man. <laughs> and even then, he desires to uphold her honor. It says he resolves to divorce her quietly. And in doing so, he's, he's upholding a lot more than just her honor. Um, he, he's very likely saving her life. Uh, because number Numbers 4 tells us that if Joseph wanted to follow the law, when he suspects Mary's pregnancy is from another man, he was to bring her to the priests and elders, and they were to, to cast lots and, and try to talk to her and find out if she had committed adultery. And being committed in marriage and engagement, you were as good as married back then. And if they found her to be pregnant with someone else's kid, Leviticus 20 then calls for her to be put to death, stoned to death. And this was still a cultural practice that they were still doing in the New Testament because when we get to John chapter 8, we have the woman caught in adultery that they would like to line up and, and stone her and Jesus shows up and is like, no, <laughs> whoever's without sin, y'all can start throwing. And they all leave. So this is still a cultural practice. So if Mary is, is found to be an adulteress in this, her, her life is on the line. And Joseph knows it. We're told he is a just man. He knows the law. So Joseph does this quietly. And in doing so, the scuttlebutt the <laughs> that you get in a small town is going to be about him. Because if you do this quietly, you're essentially saying, yeah, I was the one who couldn't wait. I was the one who broke this. Because if he didn't, then everybody would be like, well, why don't you go seek justice for yourself, Joseph? Like, go get your justice. He makes his decision, and then one night, God talks to Joseph in a dream through an angel. And, and I want to note um, that we have another Joseph the dreamer. The number of times that Joseph receives a dream in this story is not a coincidence. And that, that angel says, Joseph, it's okay. Like, everything Mary told you, it's true. As hard as it is to believe, it's true. It's a miracle. This baby is going to save God's people. And he's going to, to overcome the very system that would have called you to hand Mary over to death. He is going to overcome it and fulfill this law. And Joseph, he wakes up and, and he goes and does what God told him in the dream. Because he's a just man and faithful. And so while he and Mary and perhaps maybe some of their family that they talked with knew, many probably just presumed Joseph to be the father. Like, you know, Mary's pregnant, they're together, and it's like, oh, mom and dad. And as you can guess, this is, this is not the engagement that they wanted. It's not the plan. 
Stick to the plan. Uh, but the thing about being a parent, it's not about you. Being a parent means it's not about you anymore. And the Bible says Joseph believed this message so much that he saved himself until after Jesus was born, just in case anybody could like begin the scuttlebutt and he could say, nope, I guarantee you that this is legit. This is a miracle from God. And so they leave on a census. Mary's pregnant. And they leave to go be counted. And while gone, we, we kind of know the rest of the story. Back to Luke chapter 2, verse 6. And while they were there, that is, in Bethlehem to be counted, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Mary has her baby. And they're laid in a manger out back where the animals are. It's not warm. <laughs> it's not clean. Animals poop. And they make weird sounds. And now, you, you, this young married couple, they're, they're parents. They're parents. One biologically and both effectively. I, I want to catch that again. One biologically, but both effectively. Because Jesus was not Joseph's son. But kids give us the opportunity to, be, to do better. Luke 2, verse 21, says at the end of eight days, so Jesus is born eight days later, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, they called him Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what it said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Joseph and Mary make sure Jesus is circumcised as was a custom for God's people. They, they want to follow the law. They want to take, take care to do the things that God has laid out for them. By the way, they're probably still in Bethlehem at this point. Definitely still in Bethlehem. We're, we're going to see that in a little bit. And so they're, they're still away from home. And, and Jesus goes in to, to be circumcised at, at eight days. And he receives his name, Jesus. And then there's this other law that if, if the firstborn son was supposed to be dedicated and set apart as, as holy to the Lord. Being holy means that you are set apart. And so they, they're like, yep, we have to do it. They want to do it Right. And Joseph and Mary offer an impoverished offering for their firstborn. Because this, this two turtle doves or two young pigeons, it's not just like, oh, they're just like uh, listing the offering. That's there to tell us that Mary and Joseph, they're not rich. They're, they're kind of broke. <laughs> Mostly, probably not helped by the fact that Joseph has been like away from his work for some time now. Joseph could have said, listen, Mary, I love you, but like, this is not my kid. 
I can't afford this. Joseph offers this purification offering. It's very clear that they're both here and they're both participating in this as parents together. Joseph pays for it. It's not his firstborn. But it is his kid. He's saying, yeah, I'm going to be the parent here. By now, they've probably been gone from Nazareth, pushing two months. Um, Could be longer by the time they make the trek back. Like, Joseph has carpentry to get to. Uh, He's got a business to, like, try to keep going. And he knows the value of a father because he assumes that earthly role as dad for Jesus. He takes it on. He says, listen, I'm going to be dad. Then, Luke 2, verse 39, it says, They had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. They returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. They do it right. They performed everything that they were supposed to according to the law of the Lord. And then when they have done that, they return to Nazareth, now with a baby in arms. (laughs) Back to the small town with the Messiah. And that baby grows up, and Mary and Joseph teach him how to talk, how to walk, how to build stuff. He's a carpenter. How to interact with people. How to talk to people your age and how to talk to adults. They teach him stuff that parents teach their kids. Because that's what they are. They parented him. The Messiah. (laughs) Had mom and dad. And in parenting, they taught him, probably most importantly, the way to worship God. They taught him that. They didn't say, well, you know, we want to let you figure it out for yourself. No. They said, listen, this is our God. And we kind of have like direct word from him that you're going to like play an important role in this, so you might want to know some of this stuff, Jesus. And so, verse 41, it says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year for the Feast of Passover. Every year. They have a tradition. They, they travel every single year to Jerusalem for Passover. Again, they're in Nazareth. It's not short. Every year they go to Jerusalem for Passover, and when he was 12 years old, so when Jesus is 12, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know about it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why are you looking for me? Didn't you know I need to be in my father's house? And they didn't understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them, and he came back to Nazareth and was submissive to them, But his mother treasured up these things in her heart. 
And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is one of the few stories we get about Jesus when he's not a baby and he's not a grown adult. (laughs) He's 12 years old, and they go to Passover. And in their culture, at 12 years old, it was very common that Jesus would now be viewed as a man, as an adult. I know that's hard to, like, think about, but the times were different. This is his first Passover as, as this is like an, a more of an adult role. And so he desires, he wants to stay and learn more about God. He knows that that, that is what he needs, that's what's right. And there's this misunderstanding. And, and, and Mary and Joseph, is, they say, well, we've been looking for you. <laughs> like, where have you been? Have you ever, like, lost your kid for a second? It's bad feeling. Um, it feels awful. Imagine a day's journey, and they're like, oh, that's, we lost the Messiah. <laughs> like, uh, oh, no. Um, and so they go back, and they, they finally found him, and he's like, and then Jesus is like, I, I just needed to be around my God, learning about God. Imagine the relief when they find him. Um, but then also note that Jesus goes back with them. He doesn't say, you know. He goes back to Nazareth. (laughs) It says that he submits to them. Because he's Jesus. (laughs) He knows the law. And I believe he has begun to understand his role in things now. And it says that he continues to grow in favor with God and man. Now some due to his own desire to seek those things and to grow, but also because of his parents who are teaching him and helping him become a better person in society, to teach him, this is what we do, Jesus. This is how we do it. These are the people you go to when you have these feelings. Like They're teaching him stuff. They're his parents. He had good parents. They did the things that parents are supposed to do. Love you, raise you, teach you about God, teach you how to be a grown-up. And in my experience, from what I've seen, there's no greater job on this earth, nothing more important than being a good parent. Because too often... I've seen firsthand what it looks like when parents are not fulfilling those roles. They know full well who Jesus is. They're they're not like surprised that he's going to be this Messiah person. They know. They were told. Um, And so Mary and Joseph teach us some specific lessons. Mary teaches us that even when God's plan is not what we wanted or what we thought. We can still worship God. We can still respond in faith and in service and be thankful for the good gifts that we have. Joseph teaches us that in life, we have to do what is right. Even when it is incredibly difficult and it doesn't make sense, And it can cost us a lot. We have to do what is right. 
Joseph loved Jesus as his own son. He accepted full responsibility of the situation and gave us a picture of an earthly dad who chooses to love even when he had every reason to go, okay, Mary, we made it this far, now go in peace. Joseph and Mary know that while Jesus is the son of God, like they know that, they were told, while on earth, he needs parents. Parenthood is an opportunity to make your story about someone who isn't you. That's kind of what it boils down to. <laughs> um, and that's something that, that when you really like get to the heart of, of it, it's kind of at the core of the Christmas season. We, have, we live in a culture that, that is like super focused on this time of year of like, gimme, 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 what am I going to get? What am I going to get? What am I going to get? But think about what you can give. Because if Mary and Joseph would have spent this whole time going, well, but like the engagement, what, what about us? Like, what, what are we going to get? Are we ever going to get the big celebration that we had planned? Like, no. They had to make it about someone else now. They had to give. It's a season of giving. Not of being worried about, well, what am I going to get from this? Mary and Joseph aren't the main characters of Christmas. But they're the main characters, mom and dad. And like most parents, they weren't perfect. See the, the little bit with the Passover trip as, as that. But they fulfilled the roles God gave them. They said, okay, God, you want us to be parents, and so we're going to do our very best at being parents. It's, it's a mindset shift. Because that's what being parents is all about. It's about making it about someone else now. This is about these kids. Christmas is a time of year for celebration and remembrance of the birth of our Savior. And I would encourage you, this Christmas, look for ways to extend that love of a parent to those around you, even if they're not your kid. Because that's what Joseph did. <laughs> like, They don't have to be your kid for you to extend that love that a parent might feel to them. Because in some cases, that might be the, the only time that they experience that. Joseph died sometime before or, or maybe just shortly into Jesus' ministry. It's a detail that we're not really given in Scripture other than the fact that he's not on the scene at the death of Jesus. And Jesus appoints someone else to care for Mary when he's gone. But he served as Jesus' earthly dad. Give the parents, quotes intended, even the ones who might not actually be your parents, give them the gift of telling them what they mean to you. It's so important. 
even if it's just someone who has made a difference in some way and has taken on something that looks like the role of what a parent might do, just say, hey, y'all change stuff for me. Give them that gift this Christmas. Because parents are important, and good parents are a gift. So much so that Jesus came to die, he humbled himself to his parents. He, He chose to do that. Knowing one day that he was going to die for them. That's a lot. (laughs) In fact, both of Jesus' parents had to do what is probably one of the most difficult things a parent could ever have to do. They looked on as Jesus, their, their boy, died on a cross to redeem humanity. Both of his parents. One, an earthly woman, Mary, grieving the loss of her son, knowing God had somehow promised to save his people through this thing that's happening on the cross. Doesn't make it less sad. The other, a heavenly father, looks on his son as the payment for sin. So that way, the rest of God's kids can become a part of that family. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, and at communion, we remember that life and that death on the cross that Jesus died on our behalf. Here at Eastside, um, we, we celebrate open communion. That means that you don't have to be a member of Eastside Christian Church in order to take it. We just ask that you have put your your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Communion is in the the back two corners, up here in the front and in the center. Um, If you would use the hand sanitizer before you uh, get up to take that, it's nested with the cracker and bottom juice on top. If you take it back to your seat and just take time to remember, not not just, it's Christmas. We're we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. But take time to remember that that Jesus was human. He, He grew up. He became an adult. (laughs) And and part of that mission was that he one day died on our behalf. A real death that pays the price for our sins.